Good morning, everybody. I'm happy to see everybody here today. We are in week number four of a lesson series entitled Word Power, as you see on the screen right here. We're looking at the Word of God and uh, looking at some different topics about it. Uh, we spent the first two weeks looking at two individuals, a father and a son combo, uh, who responded very differently when presented with the Word of God. And we talked about how to live a powerful life, looking at the life of Josiah, and how to live a powerless life, looking at the life of his son Jehoiakim. And then last week we looked at kind of a laid-back approach. You didn't have any blanks to fill in in your notes. And we talked about how we should approach the Word of God on Father's Day. And today, uh, as you can see on the, the lesson note, we're talking about bold confidence in the presence of God. Now, I've got to tell you, when Tim and I were first discussing this series, we came up with the topic for today, and the topic was how to have a quiet time. Okay? And that's that's all good. Some of you may be saying, what's a quiet time? Well, a quiet time is the way a lot of us reference our time with God. A follower of Jesus can typically try to have some time with God every day, and quiet time is what we tend to call it. It's not the only thing. You can call it. It's not a biblical term. Uh, but we, I like to call it sometimes my focus time. But it's a time you have with God, time you spend reading His Word, time you spend praying, and seeing what God has to say to you. And as I was preparing for this, this verse in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 12 came to my mind. It's a verse that is somewhat common, at least it's common to me because I've used it so much. And it stands out to me as a target to shoot for, as a goal of what should be the norm. I mean, this is Paul talking to the Ephesians, and right here in the middle of chapter 3, he says, because of Christ and our faith in Him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Now, I don't know about you, but that hasn't described my time with God for most of my life. It's only been in recent years that I've learned to embrace what this says. That because of our faith, we have the right to go into God's presence boldly and confidently. And I think that should be a goal for each and every one of us. Now, I don't know about you. Some people go before God and they are fearful. All right? And probably the number one reason you're fearful or timid is because of your sin. Is that fair to say? You know, God's a perfect God, and I haven't done what He said recently, and I've done what I said I wasn't going to do again. And so we come into God going, I've blown it again. But this verse is saying because of Christ. What because of Christ? How does Christ take away that timidity in the face of our sin. Christ paid for our sin. When we go before God, we can go and we can feel confident that our sins have been forgiven. And that's an awesome feeling. And guys, we want to be able to do that. And so uh, what I wanted to talk about today as we look at this is how would we approach God? How can we approach God with boldness and confidence. And I've come up with four ways that I can exercise boldness and confidence in the presence of God. Alright? I exercise confidence and boldness in the presence of God 
when I choose to have faith. Seems pretty basic, doesn't it? And I have it there, guys, because the truth of the matter is, I believe most of us want enough faith to be saved and know that when we die, we go to heaven, but it kind of ends there. We don't want to have the kind of faith that says, I'm going to represent Jesus accurately in my everyday life. And you want to go before God with boldness and confidence, you have to have faith. Even if you're sitting in this room today, and you're going, yeah, I'm not too sure about God right now. I'm not too sure about Him. I'm not sure if He's real. I'm going to challenge you to have enough faith to begin seeking Him. Because what He says here in Matthew chapter 7 is real. And this applies to all of us. But it says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. You see guys, to ask God even to say, God, if you're real, I want to see you means you believe there's at least a possibility that He's out there and He's real. And you've got to have enough faith to say that prayer and to ask Him to reveal Himself to you. I'm reminded of this when I think back. There's a gentleman I I met. Uh, He was having a very difficult time. Uh, I only found out about his prayer after the fact. But he was having a difficult time financially. His wife had an addiction problem. Uh, The engine had went out on their car. They were rebuilding an old truck, so they had something to drive. And they had prayed. Basically, God, if you're real, show yourself to us. We, we need your help. And in walks the auto glass technician to put the windshield in his old truck. That was me. And I get this urge that I'm supposed to give this man the windshield for free. Okay, I've told this story before. Some of you are familiar with it. And I wrestled with myself, and finally, I, I walk up to him, I tell him, hey, there's no payment, the windshield's free. And his jaw, I, w- I would love to have a picture of his face, as his jaw hit the ground, like, what are you saying? And I went on to stumble and bumble through, I'm a servant of Jesus, and he's helped me through hard times, and he wants me to help others during hard times. You see, this guy prays, God, if you're real, show yourself to me. And then auto glass guy shows up and says, Jesus sent me to give you a free windshield. Guys, he had enough faith to pray. And I only had one follow-up conversation with him. I've tried to call him. But the truth of the matter is, he says, God, I want to know if you're real. And he told me in that follow-up conversation, I didn't believe in God till that day. Guys, I believe God wants all of His children to have that kind of experience with Him. That you exercise your faith and you see that these promises are true. That you test them, you choose to believe, and let God come through. You see, if you're pursuing God and you're coming before God, and this is what he says in James chapter 1. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom... You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded 
and unstable in all they do. Personally, I think he could have left verse 8 out of that. You know, isn't it enough to know if I don't have faith, he ain't going to answer my prayer and I shouldn't expect anything to go on and call me unstable and double-minded in everything I do? But guys, you have to understand something. When you are in God's presence, your faith is front and center. Why are you there? Are you there merely to present your list of requests? Or are you there as His servant asking what He wants you to do? You see guys, our faith is what our life should be all about. If you've declared Jesus as your Lord, if you've accepted Him as your Savior, it's about far more than just not going to hell. It's about how you're going to live now. And as I said earlier, I believe most of us just want enough faith to be saved. We don't want enough faith to represent Jesus accurately in the world around us today. And that's the challenge before us. Guys, there's two verses here. I'm just going to read them to you and reference them. They're not on your notes. They're not on the screen. I added them this morning. The first one is in Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. It says, For in the Gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now in this passage, he's quoting a passage in the Old Testament, and he goes on in Galatians chapter 2 to repeat the same passage that the righteous will live by faith. That is how God expects you to live. So if you're going into His presence not wanting to know how He wants you to live, you're not going to have much boldness or confidence. Or it's going to be a fake boldness, an imitation, a counterfeit. One other passage, then I'll move on to point two. It's in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. And it says, But my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. How are you going to go before God? Are you going to go before Him as His servant with faith, believing what He said? Are you going to be as one who shrinks back? See, it's kind of hard to have confidence before God when you're shrinking back and you know He's taking no pleasure in you. Second thing. I'll have boldness and confidence as I approach God when I declare my allegiance. And guys, when I say this, I've made this point in other lessons when I'm talking about us interacting with ourselves primarily, about we declare that Jesus is our Lord. That we declare, I am a servant of the Most High God. When we declare, I want to be led by the Spirit. When we declare... I want to be like Jesus. I want to be transformed. And guys, I believe we need to go into God's presence making that declaration. How will you be welcomed when you come before God saying, God, I'm your servant. I'm your son. I want to be like Jesus. You can be sure He's listening to you. You can be confident. Guys, I have one example of this that just blows me away. It's in Luke chapter 1. And just a little background on this. This is Mary, the mother of Jesus. 
This is her response following the angel speaking to her and telling her that she is going to have a child even though she's unmarried, even though she hasn't had sex with a man. She's going to have a child as a virgin. And God's the Father. Guys, He's literally telling her you are going to be stigmatized for the rest of your life as an adulteress because ain't nobody going to believe your story. And here's what she says. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Guys, you want to know how to have boldness in front of God. You go before Him saying, I am the Lord's servant. May your will be fulfilled in me. Guys, I believe that creates an incredible confidence. You see this repeated in the life of Jesus, incredibly enough. You see, in the garden the night before Jesus dies, He's talking with His Father. And I like to paraphrase this passage because I believe it's so clear and it's fun to do. But I believe Jesus is saying, if there's any other way to do this, God, can we not do this? I mean, that is what he's saying. The Bible tells us that his soul was in anguish to the point of death. And that he was sweating drops of blood. And he was offering up loud cries to the one who would hear him. And he's asking, is there any other way? He says, I want your will to be done, but I'm asking. And God does want us to ask for things, by the way. He says, but I'm asking, can you do it some other way? And he ends his prayer by saying, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You see, guys, when you are declaring your allegiance before God, that is what you are saying. God, I want your will done in my life. And I believe it's important because it is so easy to get caught up in just going before God with our requests. And a lot of times, what we're saying is, God, I want you to change your will to mine. And He's saying, when you come before me wanting to know my will and declaring yourself to be my servant... I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to answer you. Let's look at this next passage. This is in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-9. through 9. And it says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. There's a saying that's used in the world today. It's used in churches as well when people are counseling with each other. Counselors will use it. And they'll use this phrase, you know, you're unloading to a friend or you're unloading to a counselor and they'll say, okay, how's that going for you? And what are they saying when they ask that? When they say, how's that going for you? They're wanting you to realize it ain't working. 
It is not working for you. Guys, we need to realize that our ways don't work. But when you're desiring God's will, His ways work. See, too many times, guys, we're so focused on what we want and we're not focused on what God wants. And our ways don't work. You see, guys, this passage we just looked at in 2 Peter chapter 1, if we were to write this about ourselves, we might come up with something entirely different. You know, if you were to give advice to a young person, you know, make every effort to have an education. Make every effort to get a job in a growing field or a stable field, a well-paying field. Make every effort to stay married. That's a good one, by the way. Make every effort to have your kids involved in every activity they deserve to be involved in. Make every effort to have your kids go to college. Make every effort to find a job with a pension or to save for retirement on your own. You see, guys, that's the direction that I just laid out of most Americans. And we need to understand something that my allegiance determines my direction. Is your allegiance going to be to yourself and to your family and to your life? Or is your allegiance going to be to the Savior of this world? And that's going to give you direction. In the passage we just read in 2 Peter chapter 1, he's giving us a list of things that most of us don't want much to do with. But guys, you need to understand, when Jesus is your Lord, He gives you direction. Third thing, to have confidence and boldness when I go before God, when I expect revelation from God. I hesitate to use that word revelation, but I think it's going to become a new popular word in my vocabulary. I was talking with Alan this week, and I said, I think the Bible ought to be called God's revelation to man. Because it reveals things to us about the world that we don't get on our own. In Daniel chapter 2, I'm going to read this passage in a minute, but I'm going to give you a little bit of background into the passage. In Daniel chapter 2, what's going on is that Daniel is a slave. He's been taken captive by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. And he serves the king. He's one of what they call the wise men in the kingdom. And the king has a dream that troubles him immensely. And he calls in the wise men to give him the interpretation of his dream. But he has one catch. They not only have to tell him the interpretation of the dream, they have to tell him what the dream is. Because the king's not going to tell him the dream and ask him to interpret it. And the wise men go, hey, king, you're asking way too much. No king has ever asked for this. How can this be? And the king says, ah, you're trying to trick me now, guys. Here's the deal. You tell me the dream and the interpretation or I'm killing you all. Now, Daniel wasn't present for this meeting. But somebody shows up at Daniel's door, knocking on the door. And Daniel says, hey, what are you here for? And he says, I'm here because you're going to be killed. And he told him what was going on. And Daniel says, let me go talk to the king. He goes and talks to the king. And he says, king, give me some time. I'll tell you. God can reveal these things. And after God reveals the dream to him, 
and the interpretation of the dream. This is one of the things Daniel says in verses 21 and 22. He says he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with Him. Is there anything you want to know about? I mean, if you could ask God right now, face to face, like another human being, He would give you just a very plain, very clear answer. Do you want answers to it? I'm very curious about something right now. I've been watching TV shows about this. And I want answers about UFOs. Okay, have you seen this? The government has released video footage of naval aviators seeing these strange aircraft. I want to know, are they aliens? Do the Chinese or Russian have advanced technology that we don't know about? Does America have advanced technology that we don't know about? I would like to have answers. I don't think God's going to tell me this. Okay? But I ask you guys, what do you want to know about? See, when I was talking earlier about how's that working for you, okay, I can pick any one of a number of topics. How are your finances? How's your marriage? How's your job? How are your children? How's your love life? And I pick all these topics because I'm guessing, no, I'm, I'm not guessing, I know that those are areas that every one of us would like some changes in. And every one of us could complain about those areas and the question could be asked, how's your approach working for you? And a number of us, and I'm very familiar with this, can express frustration in some of those areas over a period of years. And we think we're right. And we think we're being mistreated. And we think we're entitled to. And we think we deserve. But we never bother to ask, God, how should I approach this? You see, guys, you need to understand something. God wants to reveal those kind of things to you. When you look at something that's not going well, it's not going the way you want, and you want it to be different, God will reveal to you the attitude and approach and action that you should take. Now the question is, do you believe that He will reveal those things to you? Back to what I'm talking about faith. Daniel just tells us here, He reveals deep and hidden things. Can I tell you God wants to reveal something to you? I don't know what it is. That's between you and Him. But the question is, do you go before Him expecting for Him to reveal something to you? Guys, I've got some areas there, some bullet points there that I'm going to go through. I'm going to go through them fairly quickly. And... uh when you get talking about this revelation, some people get a little nervous, like, you know, I've had some revelation. I was talking with, uh, I think it was Dave Bateman, um, about a little book that came out in 1988. Some of you remember it. 
88 Reasons the Rapture Will Happen in 1988. Anybody see that book? My dad gave me a copy. They were little bitty books, you know, and the guy had few dates. When we start talking about Revelation, we start thinking about people. We, we think about whacked out things is what I'm thinking. That God's going to reveal to you, yeah, see that gal in Playboy? I'm going to marry her. And we start thinking about he's going to reveal things that he's not going to reveal to you. Whacked out things. And, and, and things that cannot be tested. Things that cannot be questioned. And so you want to know, how does God reveal things to you? Well, number one, He reveals things to you as you read. As you read His Word specifically. Should have put that in there, shouldn't I? Guys, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 18 through 20, God gives instructions for the king of His nation when the nation of Israel decides to have a king, this is what he says. He says, When the king takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of his law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. Guys, God uses his word to reveal things to you. You want to know if what you're thinking or you think God has spoken to you you need to compare it to what His Word has to say. Because I can tell you right now, God is not going to tell you to do something that's contrary to what His Word says. So you need to be reading it. Number two is you need to listen. This is something we do not talk about a lot. You know, when you start saying, well, God spoke to me. Who's comfortable saying that? Who's, let me say, who's uncomfortable saying that? Yeah? God revealed to me. Guys, look at these passages in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and Jeremiah chapter 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, it says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Now guys, when he's talking about the house of God, he's not talking about this building here. Okay, he was talking specifically in this passage about the temple. And guys, now we are the temple. Guys, why would God tell you to go to listen? if He's not going to speak to you. Guys, I, I think you need to realize this. I, I, I mean, I know that a person can justify anything they want by saying, God told me to. And that's why it's significant to know His Word. But guys, I believe God speaks to us. You need to go to listen. Another passage in Jeremiah chapter 11 and verse 10. It says, they have returned to the sins of their ancestors 
who refuse to listen to my words. They have followed other gods to serve them. They've refused to listen. And guys, I just want to tell you, when you are going before the Father in faith and declaring your allegiance to Him and to His will, and you are expecting Him to reveal things to you, you better have your ears open. Let me give you one example. Uh, for the last couple of years anyway, maybe longer, my wife has had it on her heart to be foster parents. Okay? We actually began the classes to be foster parents before we had children. We decided not to do that at that time. It wasn't a good fit. I still agree with that decision. Now our children are out of the house. We're, we're empty nesters. We have resources. And there's this verse in James. Are you familiar with this verse? The religion that God considers pure and undefiled is this. To care for widows and orphans in their distress? That speaks to us. And I mean, we, we both have this same feeling. I mean, different ways, different topics. And we, and we wrestle with how do we do that? Because we both have some health issues that say, are we really able to give to a child like that? Last week, again, I'm riding with Dave Bateman. We took his kids to Arkansas last week to drop them off to meet their mom. So Dave and I talked a lot. Or should I say I listened a lot. But we're talking, if you know Dave, you know Dave and his first wife adopted three children. Okay, you probably know Carson and Cam. Uh, that's who we dropped off in Arkansas. But they also adopted an older girl when she was 16 years old out of the foster care system. Her name's Leah. Uh, she lives in Missouri now. And feel free to call Dave Grandpa. But we're talking about this, and we're talking about the need for Christians to take that verse seriously. And as I'm talking to Dave, I said... I said, Dave, I, uh, I, uh, you know, I was telling about Susan and I, and I was telling him about, you know, not sure what we can handle. And I told him, I said, I think I'm better suited for helping the kids that are coming out of foster care. You know, that are, that are, that are young people who don't have an adult in their life to guide them through what's going on. And I, I'm doing that in, a, in, a, in a, a number of little different ways. And all of a sudden this morning, what comes to my mind, I hadn't even thought of this before, comes to my mind. See how I put that? I'm not going to tell you God told me, am I? <laughs> he did. He asked me to start thinking about kids that age out of the foster care system. And I did a quick Google search for it. And I mean, I don't know if you know about this, but a, a kid's in the foster care system and nobody adopts them. And they can't send them back. They can't reunite them with their parents. The state decides that. And so they're living in a foster home and they turn 18. And you know what happens? They're out. And the statistics, it's like one in, I forget, how many of the females end up pregnant? How many of them overall end up on drugs? Guys, I'm listening for God and I believe He's saying, listen, you need to take a look at this. This is what my word says. You need to care for widows and orphans in their distress. And here's a need, and it fits what you think you can do. Guys, you need to listen. Third thing is you need to ask. We've already looked at James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. It's in your notes. We're not going to look at it again here. Um, 
But guys, God does expect you to ask. He does want you to ask. But He wants that asking to be couched in your faith and in your allegiance to Him. What can I expect God to reveal to me? First thing you can expect is my marching orders. My marching orders. God will reveal to you what you should do specifically in a specific situation. Second thing you can expect, and I'm not getting into these in depth. If you want to ask me more about them afterwards, I will. But the second thing you can expect is character changes. I've been saying this for years. I'll continue to say it. God is far more concerned about your character than He is your comfort. He is far more concerned with your character than He is your circumstances. And Romans 8 tells us that He is trying to use, His goal is to use your circumstances to conform your character to that of Jesus Christ. To become like Christ. Fourth thing, as we close out here. Fourth thing that we need to do if we're going to come before God I will have confidence and boldness when I come before God when I learn to meditate. Guys, what does that mean? That means God speaks, but He speaks slowly. Just because you ask doesn't mean you're going to get all the answer right now. Just as I just described about Susan and I's hearts for for foster children. Look at this passage in Psalms chapter 1. It says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. See, guys, this may come as a shock to most of you. I know it's a challenge, and that is, You control what you think about. You control what you think about. And that's what the word meditate. Here's some synonyms for it. Ponder. Consider. Deliberate. Plan. Study. Guys, we live in a microwave world and we want everything instantly. We want God to reveal things to us instantly. And he's telling you it takes time and it takes meditation. It takes thought. It takes consideration. It takes study. And I will tell you this, if you go, well, I don't know if I can do that. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. Okay? I heard that years ago and it is just so true. All that meditation is, is consciously Chewing the cud, chewing the fat, chewing it over in your mind. And that's what you're doing when you're worrying. All you're doing is replacing what you're worrying about with a focus on God and His Word and what His desires are. Part of meditating is listening. It's considering how you are living daily with Jesus as Lord. Guys, as we close out here today, I just want to say, you know, we want to be a church that makes disciples. And we want, I'm speaking for Tim and Alan and I, I haven't consulted with them, but I believe they're in agreement here. We want 
the disciples that we make to have a boldness and confidence when they approach God. Guys, that does not happen unless we have a confidence and boldness when we approach God. We can't take people where we haven't been. We can't help people get to where we're not going. And so guys, as we look at this today, I, I want to I close out and I just want to challenge you to say, is this your target? Is this your goal? Is this what you're moving towards? Do you have this confidence and this boldness now? Are you exercising this confidence and boldness now? That's all I got. Let's pray. Father, it is, it is great to look at these things. I, I loved looking at that verse this week on Daniel 2 about you reveal mysteries. It's part of who you are. You didn't leave us in this world all alone, God. You didn't leave us unequipped. You just don't drop it in our lap as quickly as we like. Father, I want to pray right now for every, every person, every heart, every mind in this room. And Father, I want to ask You to place a real desire to know what this means to have boldness and confidence in Your presence and desire to exercise that on a regular basis. Father, most of the people in this room have pledged their allegiance to You when they accepted Jesus as Lord, when they submitted to You in baptism. Father, but I know that it is so easy to get off track and to let personal allegiance run my day. Father, I pray right now that it's just something we can be committed to and be serious about and begin taking the steps we need to have boldness and confidence in Your presence. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.